0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host Jenny Gladman, and for this fourth season, I'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. And more specifically, within hydrogen. We'll be hearing from individuals with very different focuses within hydrogen, but with one clear goal of how we can fuel a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day.
1: Today's guest has had an extremely interesting career spanning over a decade in the energy industry. Now, through a little bit of fate in circumstances and a huge amount of drive, passion and determination, she is the Global Director of Strategy and Growth for Hydrogen at Worley. In this position, she explores opportunities for genuine transformation within the hydrogen marketplace. And we'll dig a little bit deeper into that later in the conversation. Outside of work, she is a part of various organizations and previously served as the president of Women in Worley, the Houston chapter. She's very passionate about sustainability and being socially, environmentally responsible. Today's guest is Noreen Fizey. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for that terrific introduction, Jenny. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me here. And hello, everyone. My name is Noreen Faizi and uh, I have over 14 years of experience in the energy industry. Like Jenny said, I am the Strategy Director for Hydrogen at Worley. And uh, Worley is a global leader in providing engineering and consulting services across uh, the energy, chemicals and resources sector. And uh, as a leading service provider in these sectors, we have a key role in shaping as well as supporting the transition to a low carbon world. And our purpose is simple, and that is to deliver a more sustainable world. On a personal front, I am originally from India and I came to the United States in 2006 to pursue my master's in chemical engineering. And I have been here ever since. My husband is a marine engineer, we have twins born and a girl who are seven years old. Um, and uh, you know, we're all looking forward to the holiday season now.
1: Brilliant, thank you for the intro, Noreen. Um, it's great to hear about some of the things that you've achieved. And actually you touched on your earlier life in India and I'd love to, to give a bit of context to where you came from. Can you tell us a, bit, a little bit about your early life before we move on to your, um, your education and your career?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, in India, at least in my time, engineering and medicine are the two most sought after professions for a middle class India. And... uh, Although I initially considered becoming a doctor as a kid, the moment I realized I had to dissect like dead bugs and dead bodies as part of the curriculum, I decided engineering is probably a better choice for me. And uh, I also come from a very conservative family where education wasn't considered as important and especially for girls, right? But uh, that was the exact opposite of what my parents believed in. We are three sisters, my parents always you know, believe that long-term success and financial independence comes from academic excellence. But I thought that would essentially mean completing my bachelor's in engineering and then finding a job in India. But my mom's plans were like totally on a different level. She wanted me to go abroad and, you know, do higher studies. And if not for her dreams and her sacrifices her support and encouragement, I wouldn't have been where I am today. So it's been uh, you know I owe it to my parents and uh, it's been a fantastic journey and I'm just so thankful and grateful uh, for them to be providing me of these opportunities.
1: Ah, That's a lovely story and also one it's it's great to hear when perhaps the the wider society didn't see things that way and your parents were really quite progressive in in their attitude and it sounds like it's been an amazing move for you to to move to the U.S. and shaping your career and shaping your family too. And to to go into your study, because I think that's kind of crucial, the, the engineering background into how you got where you are today. Um, can you tell us a bit about your master's and then how that led into your early career?
2: Yeah, I mean, my my career journey has been quite interesting. So when I was doing my master's here in the U.S., Um, I got hired as an intern for a startup company where I later became a full-time engineer. Uh, This company had a technology of making liquid fuels from waste biomass and uh, was working with the U.S. Department of Energy at that time. And I was involved in this project right from lab-scale research to construction and operation of the pilot plant. Uh, we proved it to be technically feasible, but we couldn't demonstrate commercial viability at that time. And this was back in 2008, uh, when natural gas prices were so low that it, it didn't make economic sense to convert biomass to syngas and then syngas to liquid fuels. So after that project, I got an offer from Worley to join as a, as a process engineer. Uh, and that's when I moved to Houston in 2012. And Worley was actually, you know, predominantly an oil and gas based business at that time. But over the years, it's been quite phenomenal to see the company transform to where it is today. Uh, The world around us and our industry is changing more rapidly than anyone imagined. And uh, so our core business is also, you know, shifting in response to the world's climate change problem, as well as our customer needs. Um, and so we are working on strategies to accelerate our growth into these key sustainability related markets such as carbon capture, uh, wind, solar, electrification, and hydrogen. So today we have a portfolio of more than 3,000 projects related to energy transition with more than 200 projects in low carbon hydrogen alone. And, uh, you know, those are not like full EPC type projects. Those are like really in the front end feasibility and conceptual studies. But um, the, you know, the bottom line is that we are on that journey and uh, it's just exciting to be a part of that. So, you know, as a company, we're also aspiring to achieve like 75% of our revenue from sustainability related projects by 2026. So you can see, you know, from an oil and gas perspective, dominant business to a sustainability business in just a span of a few years is quite an achievement. And uh, so this year, as part of delivering that strategy and working towards that ambition, I moved into our hydrogen business. And, uh, you know, working towards a sustainable, clean future for us, for our future generations, have, has always been my passion. So it feels like I've come a full circle where I've started my journey, working on a renewable energy project with the US Department of Energy to working now for Worley in this new uh, fuels business which is hydrogen so i mean it's just uh, it's just fantastic and i you know couldn't wait to see what more to come in the next few years and it's it's nice that you
1: touched on the um the transformation of the business because i think a lot of people out there hear the names of oil and gas companies and immediately write them off but actually the companies that arguably have the biggest impact when they transition um there's there's incredible startups out there but it's much more difficult than for them to have such a step change impact whereas actually when you have a huge oil and gas organization making that transition the overall impact on the energy transition can be huge so it must be really exciting to be a part of that
2: yeah absolutely i mean we have like decades of experience executing all these complex oil and gas projects onshore and offshore. Uh, we have a very wide customer base. So I think the impact that we can have as an organization, as well as our customers towards the energy industry, is going to be uh, not only important, but it's going to be a significant needle uh, mover in terms of reducing the carbon emissions intensity. Because, you know, we have uh, technologies that could lower the emissions, we have the expertise, and uh, we have have subject matter knowledge and uh, decades of experience in this field. So I think that will surely be a nice synergy into transitioning into the low carbon. And I mean, energy is energy in the at the end of the day, it's about making it more sustainable, more affordable, and also available. Right. So it's all those three things together.
1: Brilliant. And one thing I would like to go back to, we talked about how you started life as an engineer. And now you're um, obviously working in an engineering focused organization, but your role is really quite different. And in my intro, I mentioned fate. And I think for a bit of context for our listeners, um, Noreen kindly explained her story to me before. um, And when she took her maternity leave to have twins, which I'm still in awe of anybody that can do that, she returned to something slightly different. So I'll, I'll hand back to you to tell your story, but if you can give us the, the lowdown on what that return to work looked like and how it shaped your future career?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, my maternity leaves has been one of those turning points in my career. You know, I delivered my twins in 2015, and this was when the oil prices dropped by more than 50 percent compared to its previous year. So it, it was quite a big hit to the industry, and of course, as a business as well. So I didn't have a lot of oil and gas projects to go back to. I was quite depressed whether I would have any work or not. But uh, you know, as I was nearing the end of my maternity leave, fortunately, I had this opportunity to be an environmental permit specialist for a big petrochemical facility. And this was one of those career-defining projects for me, as I have, you know, a lot of interaction with our customers, with our other co-workers to bring all the necessary documentation together for obtaining the required permits at a local state and, uh, you know, from federal agencies for the project, because obtaining these permits was very clear for the success of any project because failure to comply can lead to project delays and massive fines. Uh, So this was like a huge project. And uh, therefore, you know, after my work on this project, I got recognized as key talent in my company. And uh, a few years later, I had the opportunity to participate in like a company wide future leaders program which then opened the door for me to get, you know, to go into the strategy role that I am in currently today. So, you know, even, even in that future leaders program, when I applied for it and when I was interviewed for it, I want to say that I was not into in the top future leaders finalists, but then the, the, the fact that I am here today, you know, pursuing a, a, a different profession that I like, the the work that i'm doing i think uh, it is important to recognize failures as stepping stones to success i mean literally that that is true in my case because even though i wasn't uh, you know you know i was i wasn't the winner of that program it allowed me to broaden my network it allowed me to showcase my capabilities so you know just a couple of months later after the program ended the program sponsors reached out to me and asked me hey you know you're working on the projects as an engineer we have this part-time role in the strategy group would you be interested in taking on that? And uh, that's how it, it happened. And uh, I've been doing strategy since 2018. Um, initially led that for our core business, the oil and gas business. And now I'm doing it for hydrogen. And uh, it's been just quite an amazing journey of twists and turns. So I just want to encourage all my listeners to, you know, not be dejected of any failures that come through your way. I mean, you fail only when you don't try it you know any opportunity that knocks on your door just give it a shot and uh, you just never know you just never know how things might uh, turn out
1: it's a great story and i think um often people are very daunted coming back from maternity leave and you kind of proved that not only did you come back successfully but you you ended up taking a path which perhaps has suited you better and being a people person and and working on that side of the business sounds like it's been amazing
2: absolutely yeah
1: and touching on coming back to work as part of a a dual professional couple as well, I think it's quite a different story to some have. How have you found that?
2: You know, I mean, managing work and personal life is definitely not easy for dual career couples in general, and even more so when there is no family close by to support. Like I said, you know, my family is all based in India, so it was just me, my husband and my twins. But I am uh, so lucky that both my parents and in-laws used to come for months at a time and took turns while my kids were just too young. And once they were about like 12, 18 months old uh, was when we started sending them to daycare. And oh my God, what a challenge it was with frequent sicknesses and taking leave from work so often. And uh, both me and my husband are, uh, again, very lucky to be working for an organization that did provide some flexibility and also had managers who were outstanding, right? Because sometimes the organization has all these flexible programs and principles, but at the end of the day, it's the manager that you should have that you know good working relationship with. And uh, they were very understanding so we could make it work. But in general, I think supporting uh, dual career couples, regardless of their gender, age, job position they're in or anything else should be, you know, on top of mind for all the business leaders today, because, you know, that, that value a diverse and inclusive workplace, because it needs a shift in thinking, a shift in culture, and, and COVID to a lot of extent has done that already, you know, just uh, giving that flexibility to your employees would, you know, there will be a significant payoff in terms of not just productivity and engagement, but also talent attraction and retention which we are seeing as a, you know, challenge in the industry today. So, you know, people people want to have that flexibility, people want to have control, uh, not just over their professional life, but also to be able to do things personally, because there's life outside of work, right? So you need to be able to manage those two things together, hand in hand.
1: I agree. And I'm embarking on the, the daycare journey myself, as you may be able to tell from the the throat (laughs) Um, and it's certainly it's certainly a tricky one and having supportive people around you is crucial um, because it it is difficult and I think until I was a parent myself I probably wasn't as understanding as I could have been because really you kind of have to to go through it to to understand Um, and then moving on to kind of hydrogen which is the the topic of the series and actually it's a it's a funny world where you can be in it for a year and almost be a veteran so um since that you're at that point um can you give us a bit of a take on the hydrogen industry as a whole and then where you fit within that
2: yeah you know when when someone recently asked me where i'm based out of i inadvertently said that i live in hydrogen you know i am based out of houston but the number of times i use the word hydrogen in my daily conversations as well, you, you get the idea, right? And rightfully so, because the industry is experiencing like unprecedented growth and momentum. But despite all the buzz surrounding hydrogen, I think there is still a lack of awareness about the use of hydrogen, its safety, and its role uh, in the future energy mix. Uh, National-level net zero targets and policy support, financial incentives, all those are very great for introducing new energies in the mix. But education and creating awareness of these new fuels is also equally important because no matter how attractive the economics are, if the public doesn't accept it, it isn't going to happen. So it is very important for us to take any opportunity we get to increase the awareness of how hydrogen is going to have long term benefits for a, for a clean and sustainable world and that too in a safe manner and uh, you know just like any other fuel right we've grown comfortable using natural gas or gasoline that we use in our day to day life uh, hydrogen is also very same it is you know only unsafe if it's not handled properly and uh, a number of hydrogen properties make it safer to handle and use than the fuels commonly used today uh, hydrogen is non toxic it is lighter than air and gasoline vapor which means that it will disperse quickly into the atmosphere in the event of a leak and uh, you know while it is important that we continue to develop robust safety standards for hydrogen's use in new applications hydrogen itself is not new it's you know it's been used for decades in space applications in refineries in fertilizer production and, um, you know, in transport sector, the fuel cell electric vehicles and hydrogen fueling stations are just as safe as conventional systems today, because they also have to meet the same rigorous safety standards that apply to all consumer vehicles. So, you know, uh, just want to reiterate that it is a safe fuel and there is a, there is hope that, you know, we will have a much cleaner future if hydrogen is going to be a significant part of the energy mix uh, in, the, in the years to come. And, uh, you know, from a, from a commitment and planning standpoint, I think uh, we've seen a significant increase in the uh, am- amount of uh, announced and planned national hydrogen policies in the last two years. If we compare it to the early 2019, 2020, only a handful of countries had started working on hydrogen strategies. But as of November 2022, 38 countries have announced national hydrogen strategies, You know, the Europe, Middle East and the Africa region is leading with 25 countries, seven in the Americas and six in the Asia-Pacific region. But then there are still, you know, significant barriers to truly, uh, you know, to overcome, to truly enable a hydrogen economy at scale. And I think we've all heard this like a million times before, but I'll say it again that, you know, today's hydrogen market faces like the classic, egg problem between the supply and demand and both lacking secure volumes from each other to help establish that value chain and the you know the supply chain is also quite complex and very broad ranging from utilities to you know providing power and water to hydrogen manufacturing equipment to storage to transport and distribution to end use markets it's a huge supply chain And uh, currently the policies from the governments, it focuses heavily on the supply side of the equation and less on the demand side. Right. So there has to be focus on what's needed to trigger the demand and then work on developing that infrastructure and supply chain to fulfill that demand and continuing to. You know, develop and build infrastructure that way. The way we currently do will not be sufficient because we are trying. We're talking about establishing the full economy by the end of this decade, and we have only eight years to do that, and uh, that's that's not a lot of time. So, we need to come up with new ways of working. And uh, as a business, as an industry, we need to make systemic changes to the way we share value, uh, to the way we create partnerships, innovation, standardization. Uh, all by leveraging digital tools and technologies. So I think that's a long, long answer. And I could go on at least for an hour or two talking about the hydrogen. There's just so much to cover. But I um, just wanted to you know give some brief points on a, on a very high level.
1: And actually, that brings me perfectly to the next question. Now, we've talked before about learning and your enjoyment of learning. Um, And I think given the speed of change um, and the acceleration of the growth in the sector, learning is actually one of the, the most challenging things because we need to educate people outside of the sector on the benefits, but also keep the education level within the sector high. So how do you think we can tackle that?
2: You know, I mean, uh, thanks for asking me this question, because uh, I absolutely think that addressing a global challenge as complex as climate change uh, needs a variety of solutions. And I believe one powerful tool to solve this challenge is education and uh, especially educating our younger generations. Right. Because when we are talking about net zero targets being achieved 20 or 30 years from now, Any changes to our world, our system, the way we live, will need to include voices, innovative ideas and talent from these kids, which will become increasingly important as they become our future climate champions. And uh, in fact, I've been volunteering with an organization named Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation, Uh, It is an organization that started back in 2008, so long before the buzzwords such as climate change and sustainability decarbonization even became a trend, right? And uh, the the mission of this organization is to integrate concepts of sustainability in children's curriculum, starting from kindergarten to class twelve. And it's such an important mission that I connect to. I mean, as a mom, having my kids and wanting, a, wanting them to have a better life in the future. I think uh, I really connected with this organization and I've been an active volunteer uh, for them over the last two years. And, uh, you know, this organization, it works with schools, teachers and students that can play a critical role in increasing awareness of the local communities on uh, climate and disaster risk issues and also promote local actions to build resilience. But, you know, you don't have to be volunteering for any organizations, anything, you know, sustainability it starts with you, the way you live, you know, the way you set examples to your friends and family and talking about all these issues with your neighbors, with your co-workers. I think uh, it's just uh, important to keep reiterating the fact that we are going to see Uh, a different world, a much cleaner world with uh, new fuels coming into the mix.
1: Lovely. And I think for any of our listeners that that really rings true with, please get in touch with Noreen, because I think as much as everyone doesn't have to be a volunteer, they could certainly benefit from more volunteers who have that sector specific knowledge and can really, um, really pass that on. And also If you imagine how many children that's reaching, it's having a huge, huge impact on that next generation. So, thank you for volunteering, but also let's encourage some others who think that they would have something to offer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Please reach out if you have any questions regarding the organization. You can, you know, feel free to uh, check my LinkedIn profile. And I've mentioned about some of the work that we uh, did for. Um, self as well. And and any ideas, any thoughts about how we can increase the scale of the impact, I would really appreciate.
1: Excellent. And we will also link it in any of the the posts we do on social media, the charity, so people can have a look and and see what they're all about for themselves as well. One other question I had, and again, we mentioned in the, um, the intro that you were previously the president of Women in Worley. Um, and I guess it was a a really exciting time for you to be doing that, but what did that mean to you personally, and and what sort of impact has that had within the organisation?
2: Yes, uh, you know, I I did serve as the president of Women of Worley. We call it the WOW group, Um, and this was a few years ago. I just served on that network for a year. But uh, at Worley, we know a diverse team is a strong team. And uh, that network aims to promote a workplace committed to challenging, you know, gender inequalities, conscious and unconscious bias, to creating a truly inclusive global organization. From our offices to our work sites, where everyone is, you know, treated equally. Uh, they they feel safe and accepted. Uh, as well as to promote opportunities for talented women to succeed and establish a strong global network of both men and women professionals to share leadership experience and knowledge. So you know we also have some men in this network to just you know share their leadership journey and, and provide guidance to uh, to the women of Worley. And uh, the pandemic has changed everyone, right? Women want more flexibility, like we we discussed. They want more support. They want to be recognized. And uh, they also want to have more opportunities. And uh, we have some fantastic initiatives as part of the WOW network. And one such initiative is uh, Women Pipeline to CEO. And this idea, you know, the, the idea for this initiative came from a Wall Street Journal Um, article titled, Where Are All the Women CEOs? This was published in 2020. And, uh, you know, it, it mentioned that in 2019, 307 companies from the Russell 3000 Index appointed new CEOs. Only 26 were women out of those 307 companies. And furthermore, 17 female CEOs stepped down or were let go during that time. So it's very eye opening. And uh, the, our, our Houston business leader at that, uh, at that time, he suggested that we start this initiative because the objective was to continue to advance our female talent at a healthy rate and also do this in a way that builds the right credibility in the right roles along their career journeys i mean it is a it's a it's a long way to go for our industry just as it is for many others where we want to see more and more women taking on these uh, senior leadership uh, roles which are directly you know impacting the business bottom line and uh, I'm just proud to be working for a company like Wally where we are, you know, having these uh, kind of initiatives and, uh, you know, having continued conversations at all levels of the organization. Uh, so the the women get recognized and are promoted for, for their good work. So
1: That's brilliant. And you're clearly very ambitious. What's next for you?
2: Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, so far... You know, I've kind of been lucky in terms of the journeys that that uh, that I took over the last fourteen years. I I did know very early on that you know I'm not a. Uh, you know calculations person designing pumps and heat exchangers being a process engineer uh, but i do like interacting a lot with people uh, that you know just keeps me so motivated and uh, in the strategy role i think it's been a great journey uh, understanding the macro you know fundamentals of the market and why things are done the way they're done and uh, you know understanding the trends and challenges and opportunities but I might want to uh, move into a business development role where where I am actually, you know, talking to the customers, bringing it more business to Worley. Again, that's another people's type of role where, you know, you would be connecting with a lot of different stakeholders in my own company, as well as the customer's company to bring the solutions together. So yeah, I mean, uh, that is my ambition is to continue to work on the, uh, you know, within the low carbon energy space and be a part of the transformation that the world is uh, uh, going to see. So quite excited.
1: And actually, that's a topic we often reach in the podcast in various previous episodes is that what does the sector need to be successful? And actually, you're an amazing example of somebody who studied one thing, entered the sector as that, has taken a, a full U turn into strategy, and then you're still planning your next move into something different again. So I think. My answer to that is always the the sector needs talented people who are ambitious and creative and have different ideas. And actually the, the role that you do is less important than the wider part that you
2: play. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, be be open for opportunities, be open to, you know, keep learning new things. There's never, uh, you know, you could, I mean, I truly believe that I could never be an expert in things. There's always something new to learn, eh, be it from more experienced individuals or be it from the future generations. Uh, I think it's just all about learning and growing together. Fantastic.
1: Well, my very last question to you is: um, What do you see for the future of hydrogen? And I know that's a huge question, but if there's any kind of couple of tidbits that you could pull out, that things that you think within the next couple of years, these are some of the achievements that we will see.
2: Yeah, Jenny. Like I like I mentioned, I think uh, hydrogen is you know experiencing quite a bit of a momentum over the last uh, couple of years. And in fact, the U.S. is currently at an inflection point in terms of its action to tackle climate change. And of course, you know, hydrogen has a huge role to play in you know the global decarbonization strategy. You know, in the U.S., the Inflation Reduction Act that was signed this year has given the industry its much-needed boost. Uh, but like I mentioned previously, there are still some barriers. Uh, similar to those in other regions across the globe that, you know, uh, we will have to address because government support to accelerate deployment of hydrogen production is great, but the demand side of the equation is still a bit unclear. Uh, So the offtake market for hydrogen is limited and also varied at the same time, which makes it a little bit more complex. And, uh, you know, unlike the LNG industry, which was traded primarily for transporting natural gas, hydrogen could have a various potential end uses, such as in fertilizer or refining, mobility, cement, steel, um, etc. in which case there would be multiple offtake agreements and, and higher risk of exposure to different markets. So there is a little bit of an uncertainty and concerns over bankability and long-term offtake agreements are holding the investors back. And, uh, you know, that's why we are seeing not as many projects reaching the FID uh, as we want to. But I think if we address these issues, uh, you know, to, to address these issues, we, we need a whole new level of collaboration and build long lasting partnerships across both public and private sectors to truly enable the hydrogen economy of the future. But uh, I just wanna say that hydrogen is not just hype, there is hope that it will clearly become a, a major, um, you know, a source of energy uh, in, in the years to come. And this decade would be that defining decade for hydrogen.
1: A great answer. And I think it is, you're, you're right, there is huge amounts of hope Um, And there's always those people that are are more considered and take a little longer, but we're seeing huge momentum and and that upward curve is getting steeper. So, yeah, here's to the next few years and, and hopefully we'll redo this show in three or four years and you can talk about how that's already happened.
2: Yeah, yeah. Would we, you know, we will look back at this time and, uh, you know, think about all the great work that we have done together to uh, to make that a reality. So can't, uh, you know, couldn't wait to make that happen. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Noreen, thank you for sharing your story.
1: Uh, it's an amazing one. And I w- wish you every success with your career. Um, and with achieving some of these goals that we've got coming, uh, coming to us in the next few years in the hydrogen sector more generally. Um, and yeah, thank you for being a wonderful guest and for joining Conversations in Cleantech.
2: Thank you for this opportunity Jenny really uh, enjoyed this conversation with you and uh, I hope our audience had got some good thoughts from this podcast as well and uh, look forward to you know staying connected Fantastic thanks Noreen thank you
0: Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech brought to you by Brightsmith If you've enjoyed this episode please be sure to subscribe like and leave a review Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.